Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me to preview the Texans-Jets game, Rami Levy, host of the In-Flight Snack, a New York Jets podcast, part of the Believe Network, also producer at WFAN Sports Radio. Thanks for giving us a few minutes, Rami. What's it like to been dealing with this Jets soap opera every week? Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me. And yeah, just when you think it can't get any worse, they find a new low. And, <laughs> you know, the season ended week one when Rodgers got hurt. You could say otherwise. They were four and three. They kept it afloat for a while. And credit to Jeff Ulbrich and Sala and the defense for doing that. But really, at this point, it's like, I don't care about the wins and losses anymore. I'm just waiting for the next awful story to come out. Like there was a terrible Jamal Adams story on Friday and no one's even talking about it. By Monday, there's three new stories that come out. And then Tuesday, there's a new scandal with Joe Beningo, my colleague at WFN. It's a new thing every single day with this team. And man, it's tough to live through. It's tough to have to get on shows nationally and then locally and talk about it every single day. It, it It's funny because like sports is supposed to be the thing that kind of like you can get your mind off of real things, right? Sports is fun. It's not supposed to be that serious. And yet we come on here and I'm getting migraines from having to talk about the Jets. Yeah. Do you think there was any missed opportunities for the Jets to pick up a quarterback after Rodgers went down? Uh, for sure. I don't think it was as big a mistake to not bring in a quarterback to start the year as some people. Because at the end of the day, let's say Rodgers got hurt for a series or got hurt for a game or two or three. The Jets could have stayed afloat. They proved that by being four and three. You could stay afloat for a few games with Zach Wilson. But once it became clear that this was a season-ending injury, yeah, I would have liked to have seen them go try to make a move for someone. Uh, I'm not saying that they would be 8-4 and four right now, but I don't think they'd be 4-8 and eight either. You're probably looking at a 6-6 six and six team, 5-7 and seven team. But that's the difference. If Think about it. If they're 6-6 six and six right now, we could be talking about Aaron Rodgers coming back in two weeks. And instead, we're talking about will he even want to stay in the offseason after what a mess it's been. Robbie, were Davis Mills or Case Keenum in the conversation after the Rodgers injury, either by you heard from the Jets or was the fandom talking about those two guys as potential guys to, to deal for? There was not a single guy that wasn't in the conversation on the fan perspective. We were talking yeah. about Kirk Cousins before he got hurt and obviously Josh Dobbs. And we were talking about backups all across the league. Even Joe Flacco, you could have signed him. He was in here last year. You could have gone and signed him. Look what he did for Cleveland last week. Yeah, it didn't go great at the end of the game, but he started out looking really good. So I think, according to Jet fans, everyone was an option. And unfortunately, it seemed like for the Jets, no one was an option until they kind of like almost didn't want to, but almost felt like they had to pick someone up. So they picked up Simeon. And then obviously they just cut Tim Boyle and picked up Brett Rippon. But at this point, it's too little, too late. Zach Wilson's going to start the rest of the way this season, barring injury. How do you think Robert Salas handled? all of this poorly at the same time about as well as you could and yet still did a terrible job because it's not his fault this is year three and the third consecutive year that he hasn't had a quarterback but again this is a guy who last year the, the locker room turned on Zach Wilson after he basically blamed the rest of the team and said I take no blame for the loss against New England when it was all clearly his fault not all but it was clearly mostly his fault didn't take accountability. The team's walking around wearing Mike White, effing, Mike effing White t-shirts, you know? So obviously the team loves Mike White. The team didn't love Zach and Robert dealt with that poorly. He allowed that to happen. And now this year, he allowed the same thing to happen where the team turned on Zach and Zach got to the point where he's like, I don't want to play. 
And then Robert's like, well, I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm not part of every conversation. I don't know what the guys are talking about when I'm not around. Well, it's your job to know. And I think Salah cares a lot about the team. He cares a lot about the guys. But unfortunately, it seems like at times he lets the guys walk all over him. And he just seems uncertain. He doesn't seem to have a certain conviction. And I honestly don't know if he's a good head coach or not. I don't think we will get the answer to that question because he's made some mistakes that are hard to come back from. And while it's maybe not fair that he hasn't gotten a real chance at this, that's how it is sometimes in the NFL. It's not always fair. Is his job in trouble? I think so. I think if you're texting with Joe Beningo, who's WFAN radio host, former radio host, and he's leaking your private texts publicly on Nash on, on WFAN on the radio and then going on CBS Sports Network the next day and saying, yeah, we talked for 25 minutes. We're, we're good now. We worked it out. If you're still maintaining a relationship with this guy after that, then yeah, that's a fireable offense. Aaron Rodgers is going on McAfee talking about the leaks. Well, guess who the leak is? It's Robert Sullis, your head coach. He's the leak. He's the one who's admittedly talking to a lunatic fan in Joe Beningo, who I love personally, and I love Joe as a radio host, but I don't think that the head coach should maintain, if he continues to maintain this relationship with him, that's a fireable offense. And I don't see how you could come back from losing six in a row last year after being seven and four. And I could see them losing out this year, losing 10 in a row to end this season. I just don't see how you could come back. You've seen this defense quit twice now, this year and last year. You're seeing the penalties, the lack of discipline. You're seeing guys complaining publicly on social media. He doesn't have control of this room, it seems like. And again, he's had he's been dealt a terrible hand. He's been had to deal with an impossible situation and most would fail in his shoes. So like I said, I don't know if he's a good head coach or not, but I think the way he's handled it, yes, is a fireable offense. It seems like they're still competing, though. I mean, the defensive effort, they stay in games, all that sort of stuff. They're still competing, but you talk about the Buffalo game and the Miami game, which really, like, you come out the gate and you give up a fumble on the first play in Buffalo, and then the first play against Miami, you get a tackle for a loss, and then a late penalty, a 15-yard personal foul. That's how those those set the tones for that game. Those are the type of plays that you look at, and you're like, this team is not ready to come out and compete. And I like the way they came back against the Falcons, and this defense played lights out against the Falcons. But on the offensive side, they couldn't do anything. And look, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers says, hey, this guy's staying, he will stay, because Aaron Rodgers is the one calling the shots. And if you don't know that by now, now you know. Couple of connections. We know the Saleh and D'Amico connection. They they work together over in San Francisco. But Texans fans spent most of the last couple of years not thrilled about Stingley being picked over Sauce Gardner in the draft. It looks much better the last three weeks for Stingley, but Sauce still having an incredible year. Isn't he something like second least targeted corner in the league this year or something like that? You know, nationally, and I even hear some Jets fans talking about how Oh, Sauce taking a step back this year. You guys are ridiculous. Like, this is one of the best corners in the league. And I think, like you said, Texan fans are starting to come around on Stingley. You're starting to see what he's capable of doing now. But Sauce Garner, he's not Darrell Revis in 07, where he had that list of locking down literally every every top wide receiver in the league week after week. But he's pretty darn close for a guy in his second year who rarely ever gets targeted. I thought last week was his best game of his season. He played in in the run game. He's coming up and making tackles. The two catches he gave up, he tackled guys short of the sticks for two-yard gains. I think he gave up a total of 10 yards, a two-yard gain and an eight-yard gain uh, that were officially credited or, I guess, put on him. Other than that, this guy has been locked down in year two. I think he's getting called a little bit more for his aggressiveness. He likes to tug the jersey a little bit. He's getting called a little tighter this year. But other than that, he's as good as it comes when it comes to corners in the league. Is he just going to shadow Nico this whole game, you think? 
no, he's not. And that's unfortunate. I don't, I don't like how the jets do that, but and I can't speak to what the Texans do. I know they run a lot of the same system. Robert Sala said today in his press conference, it's like the Spider-Man meme where you're pointing at each other, uh, him and D'Amico. D'Amico also said earlier in the week that he learned a lot from Robert Sala where these defenses really marry, marry each other. And you look at it, it's a guy in Blake Cashman who played under Jeff Ulbrich. Obviously Jeff Ulbrich was a linebacker for 10 years in San Francisco and is now the defensive coordinator for the jets. And then he goes and plays for D'Amico and develops into this incredible linebacker. Uh, and the same thing happened here with Quincy Williams, where he plays and then develops into this great linebacker, obviously, alongside C.J. Mosley. So I think the, the defenses will mirror each other a lot. But one of the things that they do is they play a lot of zone coverage and they really stick to one side of the field. So Sauce will a lot of times be on the solo side of the field and then DJ's on the other side with safety help. And DJ has been arguably better than Sauce. And a lot of that has to do with he gets safety help on that side. Uh, whatever side of the field he's on, they're definitely leaning that way. But no, Sauce, we talked about it. We've talked about it at nauseum on our podcast. It's just not going to happen. He just, they don't make him travel. I wish it was Rex Ryan coming in here and saying, hey, Sauce, you're playing man and we'll figure out the defense around you. That's what he did with Revis. Uh, but that's not been the case with Sauce Gardner in Robert Sala's scheme. Another Jets, Texans crossover, the Texans sign safety. Adrian Amos, after the Jets released him, how did he look there? And does he still have gas left in the tank? Yeah, I think that you can get a lot from Amos still. I think that was just a depth move for the Jets. They were kind of looking to see some of the young guys, specifically Ashton Davis, who made a big impact play on Sunday against the Falcons. So Quinton Williams gets obviously the initial pressure and up front and then Ashton Davis comes up and makes the play. So I think the Jets liked what they saw in some of the younger guys. And so it was more kind of like, hey, it was a numbers game for them. Obviously, the Texans have had injuries in their secondary. And it's like, hey, why not go go get a guy who's obviously knows the system? And oh, by the way, even if he doesn't play this week, he can help us with the scout team. Tell us what to look for with the Jets. Uh, This is the perfect time to go get him. I think it's a very smart move by that franchise to pick up a guy who's been not only can learn your system quick because he knows a very similar system, but can also help you coach you on, Hey, look at what's going on over there. So yeah, still a smart veteran, maybe not the player he once was, but still a guy who can get it done as a, as in a depth role for the Texans. What was the deal with Blake Cashman with the Jets? Was it just injuries that they, the reason they decided to to deal him away? Cause man, he's just, I mean, what a year he's been having for the, for the, I mean, we didn't see this coming for sure after he is good. You know, he was all right last year, but this has been incredible. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. I talked about this. I was talking about, we were talking about Jamal Adams on my show today with Bilal and sometimes guys fit into different schemes and they develop and, they learn something and like something clicks for them. Sometimes it takes a different scheme. So here, maybe it just wasn't the right fit. Obviously, he was playing next to CJ a lot. He was also more of a depth piece. He wasn't the starting linebacker here necessarily. But obviously, something clicked under D'Amico. And maybe it's stuff that he learned, like I said, from Jeff Ulbrich and from CJ Mosley. And it's finally just clicking now. He didn't get a ton of opportunity, like I said, to be a starting linebacker here. So... It's cool to see, but like again, Jets fans are probably happy for him. It was kind of like Demario Davis, who was really good here and then turned into all pro level when he went to when he went to the Saints. That kind of stung a little bit more. But the fact that we have CJ Mosley and Quincy Williams playing so well on this team, I think it helps kind of Jets fans kind of be like, all right, those guys are still playing really good and they're happy for Blake Cashman having success elsewhere. It's an interesting matchup because the Jets have the third best pass defense, but the numbers suggest they're kind of near the bottom in the league near, against the run. Only problem for the Texans, they're terrible at running the football this year for the most part. What intrigues you most about the matchup this week? 
The only way to beat the Jets is to let them beat themselves. I think if you start trying to go out there and make plays with CJ throwing the ball, that's going to give the Jets opportunities for sacks, for fumbles, for interceptions. And I know CJ only has thrown five this year, right? To his 20, to his 20 touchdowns. So CJ has been incredible this year at not turning the ball over. But I think CJ is going to have to understand that maybe this is a week where he just takes it a little slow, tries to hand it off because the Jets defense has been on the field for it feels like 70% of the time this year. And that's why the run defense has struggled because they're getting run down over the course of a game. They start the game strong in the run game. But when you see your offense go out there and three and out, three and out, three and out, eventually you're going to start giving up yards in the run game. And that's what happens. They get worn down and teams just run the ball on them. And teams play really conservative against the Jets because they realize we don't have to put up 15 points to beat the Jets. We could put up 12 points and probably win the game. I think that's kind of going to have to be the game plan for CJ and the offense is just wait it out. Sometimes it's almost boring. Sometimes it feels like you want to take chances. But the more chances you take on offense, if you're the Texans, you're giving more opportunities to the Jets defense to make a play. And that ultimately can come kick you in the butt. Is the run defense with the Jets more of, you know, where what the Jets are in the past game and what the game situations has been? Maybe teams, you know, having a lead, they're running the ball more. Like, how has that worked out where, you know, they're, they're I think they're kind of near the bottom in the run, right? Yeah, that, and that's what I think it is. I think it's just you're giving up a lot of yards late in the game when teams are trying to run out the clock. And especially, like I said, when the team is on the field for 70% of the plays, the defense is out there. It's tough. It's tough to try and get stops late in the game. So teams are not trying to throw against this Jets defense. They don't want Sauce and DJ and Jordan Whitehead and all these guys to go make plays because they can and will go make plays. Even Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley, those guys are going to make plays for you. So why give them an opportunity? Let's just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and run the ball some more. And eventually, hopefully, we break through. And even if we don't, even if we get three field goals in a game, that's probably enough to beat the Jets offense. What's the health situation with Brees right now? We're we're doing this Friday, almost noon. Uh, Where's he at? I think he'll play, but it's interesting. I talked about this uh, earlier today. Brees Hall we have to remember never played a full year in the NFL last year's rookie year. He gets injured obviously with the ACL and a lot of guys, their first year off the ACL don't look very good. Brees was the rare thing where he comes back year one off an ACL and looks incredible to start. But I think he's starting to wear down a little bit, especially considering teams are putting eight guys in the box and daring the jets to throw. And the jets had wide open wide receivers last week and they couldn't find those wide receivers. So Brees is just running into the line over and over again. And I think maybe the combination of him never having to play a full NFL season and never having that experience of that wear and tear on his body. Maybe he's hitting that rookie wall in year two. And that combined with it's still year one off of an ACL. So this is a guy who, you know, is still kind of recovering. I would expect him to have a little bit of a snap count. I expect him to play, but I expect we see Dalvin. And I hope, please God, I hope Izzy Abanaconda finally gets some touches in this offense because we've been talking about it. It feels like for three weeks now, they trade away Michael Carter because of it. And Yet we haven't seen, or they cut Michael Carter rather, and we still haven't seen anything from Izzy Abanaconda. So they keep teasing that he's going to get some touches. I haven't seen much of it. So let's see if we get it this week. How's Dallin look this year? Does, do you feel like he's lost something or just hadn't really got his chance? He was really slow early in the season, but he when he's had his chances the last few weeks, he's looked really good. And then sometimes I say, is the Jets offensive staff watching the game? That's sometimes the things that I say because – Take, for example, the game in Las Vegas where the Jets were really struggling offensively and they couldn't score. They, they could move the ball, but they couldn't score. Dalvin Cook had two runs in that game. I think one for nine yards and one for eight yards. And it's like, why don't you keep feeding Dalvin? He looks so good in this game. 
and they didn't play him again. Last week, there was a drive where they were riding Dalvin, and then they decided, you know what? Let's let's give him a breather. Let's bring Brees in. And then Brees got a, stuffed at the line a couple of times, and that ended that drive. And, of course, after Dalvin fumbled last week, which ended up leading to the only touchdown in the game that the Falcons scored, so it sucks, but he basically was relegated to the bench the rest of the game. It's like, all right, you fumbled, you're done. Even though he was the most effective running back last week. So I think he actually has his legs underneath him. I don't understand why they're not riding him. They should hand it to him every every single time. He, hey, earn that contract. This is He's here on a one-year deal. You don't have to worry about running him into the ground. Run him into the ground. All right. Now, if I'm guessing how this is going to play out, it's the Texans. They end up playing close games most of the time. The rain, I think, is... Not good news for the Texans because with rain, that could mean turnovers. Turnovers, I think, are the one real thing that keeps this game close with the, you know, the Jets can can cause turnovers. Like, how, how do you see it playing out? The Jets have, they win and lose based on the turnover margin. The only way they win is by forcing turnovers and not turning the ball over. So that is a big factor. And it has rained every single Sunday in the Madlands this week, I this year. I am telling you, I can't remember a single game this year on a Sunday afternoon that it didn't rain. You're talking about the New England game. You're talking about, obviously, opening night on that Monday night football game, which ultimately this rain rainy field maybe contributed to Aaron Rodgers' injury, right? Atlanta last week the Giants game. It feels like there's been rain every single week at MetLife Stadium this year. So I don't know, another Sunday with rain and it's been like flurrying here, kind of snowing a little bit. So it's going to be freezing rain on Sunday. I don't know. The Jets said that they plan on having Zach let her rip. So I'd say that the Texans are going to get a chance for some interceptions in this game also if the Jets really do plan on airing it out. So the turnovers could go both ways. Like I said, I think it's smart for the Texans to play a conservative game and let the Jets beat themselves. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Remind us a little bit more about your, your podcast and how people can connect with you as well. My podcast is the in-flight snack podcast on the believe podcast network. We have fun. Me and former jets running back Bilal Powell. We talk all things jets, we talk about his career. We have some guests on. We're hoping to have Ryan Fitzpatrick on at some point as well. Former Texan. We talk to everyone. We talk about his career, different insights into the NFL. So even when the season's not going so great, we still have a fun time. And then I do some work with WFAN producing live radio shows and doing a lot of their social media and digital content production. So we have fun over there. WFAN is like the father of all sports talk radio stations. It's the best. And uh, so it's super cool to be there. And you can connect with me online at Rami underscore Lavi on Twitter or X, whatever it is, at Rami Lavi or Rami dot Lavi on Instagram as well. And if you're looking for tickets this week, I have three tickets to the Jets-Texans uh, game. And I'm still undecided if I want to sit in the rain. I do want to see C.J. Stroud. <laughs> I really do want to see him in person. But I'm undecided if I want to sit, sit in the rain uh, and watch another Jets loss this year. So uh, you can message me and we'll see what happens. I've asked this to a couple of people. And, you know, I, I'm a little, you know, confused by it. C.J. Stroud is fifth in the MVP voting right now. And I'm just curious, you know, does that surprise you at all? Because he's now taken a the second worst team in the NFL last year to the brink of the work. We're nearly a playoff team. He's had three game winning drives. He's played with 11 offensive linemen. He's had six starting offensive lines and he's leading the NFL in yards. Uh, what do you think about that? Stroud's fifth behind guys like Brock Purdy, which, I, you know, I like Brock Purdy, but I'm just surprised. He's, he's being considered for an MVP over a C.J. Stroud right now. I always say this about the MVP. The MVP is a narrative sport. When you're playing Sunday at noon every week, 
you're you're not as likely to get as many MVP votes, right? That's just how it is. And Brock Purdy's playing in prime time, if not 425, damn near every week. So he's in the perfect offense. So he's going to get more votes. He's going to get more looks. Look at a guy like Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson has a real case for the MVP this year, what he's done this year with this team. It's obviously a great Ravens team, but Lamar's looked every bit as special, if not more special than he did in his MVP season. Not running the ball to the same level, but the way he's throwing the ball is incredible this year. So do I think CJ has a real case for MVP? Sure. But there's other guys. You talk about Brock. These guys, obviously, you talk about you're looking Kansas City and Philly. They're in primetime every single week. And so they're going to get a lot more of the attention nationally than when you're locally sitting in a market and watching CJ every week. I love watching CJ, but I can't tell you that I sat and watched him at, on Sunday at one o'clock every week. It, it just doesn't happen. You catch highlights, you watch him on, 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 on red zone, you try and get what you can, but I think that plays a big role in all of this. Oh yeah. Well, I know it does. And it's funny. Cause like Patrick Mahomes also ahead of him, he threw more interceptions in a game than CJ throwing this interception. So, and, and, and really Mahomes, you know, I, I love Mahomes, great quarterback. You know, I think he's the best in the NFL, but there's no way if you look at the numbers that he's better than, than uh, CJ he's not having an MVP season. No. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Well, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this and uh, hopefully we'll have a great game to watch on Sunday. I mean, the Texans, you know, I, to me, they're the most exciting team in the NFL. Eight last eight weeks. They've had eight games decided by one score and there's nearly a game winning drive every single game. So it should be fun. Yeah, should be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. I do think the Texans will pull a, uh, pull away a little bit at the end of this game. I don't think it'll be a one-score game, but uh, I, I do like, uh, I, I look forward to seeing the Texans play in person. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Attack!